beware of the church. It can be a dangerous place. Some of you probably came here this morning thinking, you know what, um, Sunday, first Sunday in January, maybe I'll go to church today. What you didn't expect is that somehow, some way, God, by His Holy Spirit, would move in your heart and speak in your heart today. Beware of the church. Now, there's another reason that I can say with a lot of confidence to beware of the church, and it's this. Some of you, many Christians in the world, but even some of you have been hurt by the church. Whether it's spiritual abuse or when you've failed in your life, the church has just kicked you to the curb. Some kind of abuse in the church has hurt you and driven you away. I would say this. First of all, thank you for being here. You haven't given up completely on the church. And the second thing I would like to say to you on behalf of all of Christianity, and it's this, we're very sorry. We're sorry that we took the gospel that is so precious and so beautiful, the gospel of God's grace, and we haven't that, given that to you with love. So we apologize. But there's another reason to beware of the church, and it's this. The church is a place where something can happen. And I believe something will happen every Sunday. Every Sunday we gather, I believe that the Spirit of God is be going to be here, come alive, and do something extraordinary in our midst. If you have come to be comfortable and cozy and not change and not move, you're probably not going to be comfortable at Hope Covenant Church because the church is a place of transformation. It's not a place of sitting and soaking. It's a place of transformation. And so beware of the church because it could cost you your life in a very positive way. Beware of the church. This morning, I would like to ask you, um, before we start open the Word of God, if you would just extend your hands in a posture of receptivity. All this means is that you are opening your heart and your life to the Word of God. So if you would do that now with me. Father, uh, we come to you this morning uh, with open hearts, with open minds, and with open hands. We believe that you are going to do something extraordinary in the next 30 minutes. We believe that through the Word of God, through the powerful Word of God, that you are going to touch some lives. You're going to convince some of us of our wayward ways. You are going to bless many of us, and you are going to challenge us to follow you in new ways. So, Lord, we open our hearts, our hands, our souls, our lives to your Spirit. May we receive the Word of God by faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Thank you. Well, I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a story. The priest announced that Jesus Christ himself was coming to church the following Sunday. People turned up in large numbers to see him. Everybody expected him to preach, but he only smiled when introduced and said hello. Everyone offered him hospitality for the night, especially the priest, 
but he refused politely. He said he would spend the night in the church. How fitting, everybody thought. He slipped away early the next morning before the church doors were opened. And in their horror, the priests and the people found that their church had been vandalized. Scribbled everywhere on the walls was the single word, beware. No part of the church was spared. The doors and windows, the pillars and the pulpit, the altar, even the Bible that rested on the lectern. Beware. Scratched in large letters and small, in pencil and in pen, in the paint of every conceivable color. Wherever the eye rested, one could see the words, beware, 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 beware. Shocking, irritating, confusing, fascinating, terrifying. What were they supposed to beware of? If it did not say anything else, it just said, beware. The first impulse of the people was to wipe out every trace of this defilement, this sacrilege. They were restrained from doing this only by the thought that, well, it was Jesus himself who had done this deed. Now that mysterious word, beware, began to sink into the minds of people each time they came to church. They began to beware of the scriptures. So they were able to profit from the scriptures without falling into bigotry. They began to beware of sacraments. So they were sanctified without becoming superstitious. The priest began to be aware of his power over the people. So he was able to help without controlling. And everybody began to be aware of religion. Which leads the unwary to self-righteousness. They became law-abiding yet compassionate to the weak. They even began to beware of their emotions of God, their notions of God, so they were able to recognize him outside the narrow confines of their church. They have now inscribed this shocking word over the entrance of their church. And as you drive past at night, you can see it blazing above the church in multicolored neon lights. Beware. Well, I wonder what you think about that. If you think we should post a sign outside our church doors saying, beware, and if you do think we should post that, why? Is it because perhaps you were hurt by the church and beware if you're broken or sinful or in some ways imperfect, beware the church might cast you out? Or is it something different? Would you beware be something like this? Um, if you really come into a church like ours, if you listen to what the scripture teaches, if you honor what is being said and done, it could transform your life. It could change your life. Not tomorrow, not during a resolution of 2015, but today. Beware of the church. It can change your life. Now, I grew up in a family where there were rules and regulations. Don't jump on the bed. Don't uh, uh, swim until 30 minutes after you eat. Don't run with sisters. And one of my all-time favorites that I heard often, uh, don't shoot your BB gun at your sisters. 
Um, those were some of the rules in my house, and they were necessary. They were needed because we were all people that were trying to find our way, and we weren't very good at it. But also, there was our church that I grew up in, and that church also had a long list of rules and regulations. Not one so much that you would find in the Bible, but rules and regulations that were implied in our church, such as, don't offend anyone. Don't change anything. Avoid all controversial issues. And just obey the rules and regulations that are stated and unstated. That was the church I grew up in. That was a church perhaps many of you grew up in as well. The problem with that kind of church, it is a completely foreign concept to the New Testament church. And that's who we are trying to be, a New Testament church. We exist as a church to help people that come through our doors and people that we know to take one step closer to Jesus. That's why we exist. We don't exist to condemn. We don't exist to shake our fingers at you. We don't exist to make you feel guilty. You can do that on your own, okay? Because we all have an enormous capacity to feel guilty about all sorts of things. You've got plenty of that. You can do that on your own. What we do desire is to bring each person the message that God's redeeming grace can be yours by faith. That you can experience the enormous grace of God through salvation, through Jesus Christ, and you can experience all that that grace implies. Forgiveness of sins, a life that matters, a life that is about uh, actual significance instead of success, and an eternity that's secure in the arms of God. That is a promise. That is the gospel. And we are committed as a church that we will do everything in our power to make that gospel known to you. So you will not find here people that are constantly politically correct, or you will not find people that we are here to please our denomination. And some of you may not like this, but you will not find here that our purpose is to please you. Our purpose is to proclaim the transforming value of the gospel, that the gospel will change your life. So if you want something comfortable and cozy, if you want something that you don't have to move or change, this is not the church for you. Beware of the church. Transformation is what matters to us, not rules and regulations. We are not a church of religion. We're a church of relationships. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, before we left for a week's vacation, uh, a man who lives in the area uh, came by to see me, made an appointment, came by to see me, and wanted to find out about our church before he tried it. Now, to me, that's always kind of strange. I always think that people might want to try and come to our church. They can kind of sneak in. They don't have to sign the Connect card. They can sneak out. And if they don't like it, never come back again. So that's kind of the way most people do it. But this guy wanted to know from me what the church is about. And so we talked. I asked him about his faith uh, when he came to Christ, uh, as a, in his case, a teenager. And I asked him about his church experience, and it was very bad. Uh, he had gone to a church where it was very condemning and very legalistic, and he never felt comfortable there. And so I asked him about his faith today, and it's very strong. I said, well, where are you going to church now? He said, well, I haven't gone to church for 20 years. Now, normally when someone says that to me, I have this lecture inside of me that's all ready, you know, and I just kind of pour it out there, you know. Well, you can't separate the head of Christ from the body of Christ. Every person needs the body, whether you, ex 
you, you understand it or not. You can't separate, you know, all. But instead of that, I just asked him another simple question. I said, why don't you go to church anymore? And this is what he said. Because nothing ever happens. I thought to myself, I just took my breath away. Nothing ever happens. He said, we used to go to church and sing the songs and do the liturgy and listen to the boring sermon and we used to do all of that and nothing or no one ever changed. He said, to me, church was a waste of time. Well, I've thought about that phrase that he used many times since then. Things never happen. Well, one thing about our church, I mean, you may like it or not like it, depending on if you're new or not, but um, things are happening here. Let me give you an example. Um, Christmas Eve. Now, in our church, a lot of people go to church on Christmas Eve. Okay, we know that. Now, you're here today, so I would never save this at a Christmas Eve service, but we know that we're welcoming a lot of priesters. Okay, priesters are those who come to church on Christmas and Easter. Okay, priesters. We love them. And we told them our whole sermon was about welcome home, right? So no condemnation there at all. But we recognize that. But here's what we, we, we're really trying to do, and that's we are not trying to make sure everybody knows the Christmas story. They already know it, okay? They know about Mary and the baby and all that. So that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to have you invite people that you know and care about, just like we talked about with Alpha, people that you know and care about that don't know God, that are far away from God, you invite them to Christmas Eve and then we will do our very best to share the good news of Christ's love with them. So we expected for weeks in our staff meetings and in our leadership gatherings, we have prayed for our Christmas Eve service because here's what we, we believed. We believed that something was going to happen. We believed that the Holy Spirit was going to be here and lives are going to be changed. We believed that. And Sunday night, or that night, uh, Christmas Eve, when we gave a call to Christ at the end of both services, you would not have believed. I still get tingles when I think about it. The number of hands that shot up and looked up at me and said, yes, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Things happen here because we expect them to happen here, because we believe that God is here. We believe the Holy Spirit is present. We believe there's power in the Word of God. We know something is going to happen. I don't want to be part of a church where nothing happens. I don't want to be part of a church that's boring and irrelevant. I want to be a church like the New Testament church that was a completely dangerous church because it was transformational and not religious. It was about lives being changed, not becoming religious. So that's what I want to share with you from the early church this morning. I just want to share with you a few brief passages from the Bible, from the book of Acts, as you would expect. That's the early church. And what was happening in that church that caused them to be, instead of religious, to cause them to being transformed? The first thing I want to look at is this. Ordinary men and women, like you and me, ordinary men and women were transformed into extraordinary men and women. The ordinary were transformed to the extraordinary. Now, we know that many of the disciples that Jesus called were very ordinary, right? They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were prostitutes. They weren't the cream of society. They were kind of the dregs of society. And these are the ones who began the church with Jesus and the apostles. They were the ones that really raised up and shared the good news of the gospel. So Peter and John... And Paul does, did this all the time too. But Peter and John were preaching and they were in trouble again because of their preaching. 
and they were telling people about Jesus, and the, the, especially the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders said, don't do that anymore. The Romans hated it because they were always causing trouble. Everybody didn't want him to do it, but yet this movement that started with just 12 men, and then at Jesus' resurrection, 513 men and women, and all of this thing was getting, catching the snowball. It was just getting enormous, and everything was happening, and here we read these words. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, accosted these people, Peter and John, here's what they said to them. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw, notice they said saw, the courage of Peter and John. Why courage? Because they'd already been jailed. They'd already been beaten up. They knew that they weren't afraid of much of anything. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note, listen now, that these men had been with Jesus. Now, what's extraordinary about that is that these religious rulers didn't even believe that Jesus was alive. They thought when he was dead on the cross, he was dead on the cross, and he was still buried in the tomb. But somehow, someway, they discovered that these common, ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, these common, ordinary people somehow had been empowered because they had been in the presence of Jesus. Now, if you want a uh, New Year's resolution, I don't really believe in New Year's resolution. It's not that I don't believe in it, I'm just not very good at them, okay? Some of you are better than I am. Okay, you know, lose 20 pounds, go to the gym. I always do all those things. But, but if you want a real New Year's resolution uh, that will change your life, uh, how about something like this? Why don't you ask this question every day? What does it mean to be with Jesus? Every day, you just ask that question. What does it mean today to be with Jesus. Because when Peter and John were with Jesus, the world changed because their lives were transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would it look like for you every day to wake up and say, what does it mean to be with Jesus? So here's Peter and John, and the Bible says they were unschooled ordinary men. Now the word for unschooled is the word, the Greek word, idiotes. Okay, now hear that word, and when you hear that word, what word do you hear? Idiot. Okay, good. Uh, uh, the, the plural of that is idiotai. So, you know, and, you know, more than one idiot is idiotai, a lot of idiots, right? So the word, the word literally means uneducated, common, or an idiot, okay? Somebody that's, you know, one taco short of a combo plate. Somebody that's not quite all there. So now that's why I know that our church is on the right track, right? Because we are filled with idiotai. And, and you're beautiful people. I love you, but come on, you know. And I am the chief among you. I believe that. By the way, uh, if this is your first time at Hope Covenant Church, welcome. Uh, uh, you know, what did you learn at church today? I learned that I was an idiot. Well, that's, that's, that's warm and fuzzy. Well, because I am just like you, I'm an ordinary person. I'm not spectacular. I don't have spectacular gifts and abilities. I'm just me. I'm just an ordinary person that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. And God says, when you take an ordinary person and that idiotase, if you just take them and let the Spirit of God come into them, they can transform. They're not only their lives transform, but they will transform people around them. Remember the Mary miracle? We just got done with this. The Mary miracle is that Christ comes alive in you and Christ grows in you and Christ comes forth from you and Christ changes the world around you. That's transformation. 
And we can all experience that. So we are all idiotai, and we should be happy about that, that we all feel that way. Every time, I confessed this a few weeks ago, every time I get ready to preach. I figured out one time that I've preached over 5,000 sermons in my ministry. I've preached a lot. Every time I get ready to come up and preach, I am a puddle. I'm a mess. I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and I'm concerned, and I'm, it's such an enormous job to proclaim the God's truth to you. I want to make sure I'm doing it right. All of that. I'm just me. I'm just an idiot, okay? I don't know any better. Now, if you don't believe that, ask my wife. She's got lots of stories, <clears throat> uh, lots of idiot stories. But one of the, just an example of how I'm common and ordinary. So I'm a brand new pastor at Mount McGill Covenant Church, 1979. Uh, I'm I'm doing my first communion service, and so I very, it's very important uh, how, you know, I do it, and I've got the breads up there, and uh, there's this a large uh, chalice of, of uh, grape juice, and I'm all ready, and the first people come up to serve them, and I lean over to hand them the bread, and my tie falls into the juice. <laughs> By the way, that's why I don't wear ties anymore. Uh, but and you, Can you imagine it? And the tie just goes... <laughs> You know, just sucks up, you know, like a quart of the... the. So I'm sitting there trying to be a, a pastor, and my tie's flopping around, and juice is going... Idiotase, okay? That's me. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the chief... So it's, it's not, nothing bad. It's just that we're common, ordinary people. But a common, ordinary thing like five loaves and two fishes, the little boy put in the hands of Jesus can do extraordinary things, can do amazing things, the testimony of the early church was that out of these uneducated, ordinary men and women, God did absolutely extraordinary things. He did recruit a certain type of person. He recruited fishermen and broken people and outcasts and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, all of them idiotai, every single one of them. That's who he recruited for his kingdom work. Even more telling is who he did not recruit. He did not recruit the religious or the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin or the religious rulers or those who had money or those who had leverage. He didn't, he didn't recruit any of those people. Not a single person from the safe religious traditional church did he recruit. Religious people, generally speaking, don't know the power of God they only know the power of rules and regulations and things that you should and shouldn't do. But a person that gives their hearts and their lives into the hands of Jesus, whether they're smart or dumb, whether they're big or small, whether they're gifted or ungifted, can do extraordinary things for the kingdom. A few years ago, a little boy <clears throat> in our church asked his mom the question about our church out front. The church says no perfect people allowed. He thought that was weird, um, along with some of you, by the way. And he said, well, that was weird. So he asked his mommy, he said, mommy, why, why, do our, why does our church have a sign out front that says no perfect people allowed? And she said, well, the best way I can understand it is that we are telling people in the world, because a lot of people in the world think that we think we're perfect, right? They already believe that of us. And so we're letting them know we're not. We're letting them know that we're idiotai, all of us and that we're on the journey, but we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We're, we have faith, but we're still trying to become more and more like Christ. We're trying to do things better and grow in our faith and all of that. So she said, that's the best I know, that we're just trying to love Jesus more and do more Jesus things, and, but we're not perfect when we do that. And then the little boy said, well, then, then why do we let Jesus and God in our church? 
It's a good theological question. I don't know what the mom said. I, I will say this. I mean, at least the little boy recognized that Jesus and God hang out here, so that's good. But basically the mom said, well, because Jesus and God like to hang out with imperfect people. Good answer, huh? Jesus and God like to hang out with imperfect people. The New Testament church, friends, is not for the convinced. It's for the doubters. It's not for the altogether. It's for the sinner. It's not for the well. It's for the sick. We have, um, when we're ordained, uh, we're given a book of worship by our denomination. And there's a lot of very useful things here. You've heard us use it uh, during communion. We do it during new members, during baptisms, dedications, all of those things. But uh, one of the sections on uh, the Lord's Supper, it gives this rubric or this um, kind of litany that you can speak to the congregation before you take communion. I'd like you to listen to the words of this because this identifies the New Testament church. Here's an invitation, and you'll get this invitation in a little while as we come to the table, right? So this is an early invitation. Come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. That's who we are. We are broken people. We are people who are desperately in need of God's grace and His mercy. God never intended for the church to be a religious place. He never intended it to be a safe, unobtrusive, inoffensive place. In Acts 19.11, the scripture tells us that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Extraordinary miracles through Paul. Many times in church, we simply don't believe God is going to show up and do something. We believe and we pray this every Sunday morning at 8.15 in my office. You're all welcome to join us, although it get a little crowded. Every Sunday morning at 8.15 to 8.30, we pray for both of these services and we pray for you. We pray that you will experience the extraordinary power of God through the preaching of his word. We pray that for you every Sunday. Now, I don't fully understand miracles. I know they happen. Remember, I'm, I'm kind of like Claudio. I'm an engineer, so I, I'm kind of weird that way. I, I think, you know, I'm a natural-born skeptic. I, have, I, I think everything needs to be tested, right? But there are some things that I have seen in my life as a Christian that you cannot explain. It's simply the power of God changing a life. I, we had a healing service many years ago in here, and we haven't done many of those, but we've done a few according to the Scriptures, what the Scripture says. And, you know, we don't do the, the, the television version. We do the Bible version. And, and so we, we did kind of this healing service. And a young man, a teenager, his name was Jonathan Neal, since he's moved to Texas. But he came forward, and I anointed him. And he told me afterwards that he was healed. And he was verifiably healed. And, and, and I told him, that shocked me. And he said, why did it shock you? He says, I didn't think anything was going to happen. You know, here I'm the preacher and I'm doing the anointing and I didn't think anything was going to happen. But God wants to do something. Now, here's the greatest miracle of all. 
The greatest miracle of all is like it happened on, on Christmas Eve. It happens many Sundays throughout the year in our church. It happens in some of your living rooms and some of the shopping malls. And it's this, it's when someone opens their heart to the Spirit of God and says yes to Jesus. It says, I give my heart and my life to Jesus. I receive forgiveness of sins. I, I, I'm now going to live a life of significance instead of success. I have a place that I know I am going. I am assured of heaven. I give my heart and my life to Jesus. I become a child of God. And when that happens, the Bible is very clear. Someone that was dead comes alive. There is no greater miracle than that. Resurrection. Resurrection that lasts forever. Not just resurrection of the body, resurrection of the soul. Something that lasts forever. We believe that God will do something in this place. We believe that God will do something in your life. And he, yes, he even uses common, ordinary people. I'll give you another example. It's always fun to tell on myself. Sherry has all these stories. So I'm a, I'm a youth pastor now. This is going way back uh, before I went to seminary. I was a youth pastor at Mount McGill Covenant Church and we had a large youth group and the kids we were reading, uh, we were re reading in Matthew and I talked about healing and anointing with oil. And then we looked at James and we saw all those passages and the kids said, we should have, a, we should have an anointing service. I said, okay, I, I don't know if anything's going to happen. I don't know what, but we'll do it. We'll do what the Bible says. So we did an anointing service. So I asked my pastor, Pastor Agard, I said, I don't, where do I get anointing oil? He says, I have some in my office. Feel free to go and use that. So I went into his office and there's all kinds of things. And I grabbed one, but I grabbed the wrong one. Instead of grabbing anointing oil, I grabbed cinnamon oil that was very hot. So when I started anointing the kids with a cross on their forehead, they started jumping around. And, you know, I thought they were filled with the Spirit, but they were just on fire. You know, but idiotes, okay? God can use even me. God can use you. God can use any form of you. I remember um, at our baptism just a few months ago, uh, one of the, Janelle was being baptized. She's right here. She's got her cardinal uniform on, even though they lost. She represents. Okay, but when Janelle was baptized, she said later to me, she said, did you feel that? And of course, idiotes, I said, feel what? She said, I felt the power of God in my life when I came out of the water. And see, that's what happens. Even among common, ordinary people, we're transformed by the power of God. We're transformed from being ordinary to being extraordinary. But then we're also transformed from being consumers to being contributors. That's why the early church was dangerous as well. Listen to these words in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 45. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Do you, you read that about that early church and you say, these people were not consumers. These people were contributors. Everything I have, my money, my gifts, my abilities, my skill, my time, I will give for the kingdom. I will do everything for the kingdom. God wants us to be that kind of transformed person. The New Testament church was dangerous because the church was filled with contributors and not consumers. So many times today, I get, and, 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 and forgive me if I step on some toes, but again, our job here is not to keep your toes healthy. Okay, uh, so here, when somebody comes to me and says, you know, uh, we're, we're going to attend your church for a while, for about six months, and then we're going to go to another church. And I, you know what I say to them? Don't bother. 
We don't want consumers. Now, I understand there's always a place for church shopping. Nothing wrong with that. If, God, if you feel God is calling you away from a church to another church, I'm totally on board with that. I understand that. But church hopping, yeah, all that is is saying, I'm not going to get involved. It's just saying, God is not going to do something in my life. God is not going to transform me. We've got to turn our lives from being consumers to being contributors. Now, we, we, had, um, we asked you uh, in the month of December to give generously to Momentum for Ministry, which is the way we pay down our mortgage, and to our general fund, and so that we can fund all of our ministries. I don't know what the final numbers are yet, but I, I talked to Debbie this morning briefly, and she said that we did really good, and we're still waiting to see on some other things, but, but he, here's what I want to say. So many of you are not consumers. You're contributors. You give and you give generously. You give until it hurts. You give because the gospel matters. You give because you know that giving a dollar to your church is one dollar that's going to be used for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe in that and you are contributors. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you not only for your giving, but I want to thank you for the way you use your lives. The way you use your gifts and ministries. Next week, we're going to have a, 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 a brand new start of, of small groups. So we're going to have the opportunity for you to join. Join a small group. Be, con- be committed. Contribute. Give your ideas, your thoughts, your beliefs. Use your hands. Use your money. Use everything you can to contribute to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really matters. The attitude of consumerism is both selfish and unbiblical. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We do not exist for us. We exist for the world. We exist to proclaim the good news of Christ to the world. When we give and serve sacrificially, we become transformed from consumers to contributors. So make a commitment. Make a commitment today. Something like this. I will not consume in 2015 at my church, but I will contribute. I will be transformed. I will sell out. I will be part of a dangerous church. I will stamp on my forehead, beware, I am sold out to Jesus Christ, and you just can't imagine what God is doing with me. So God changed the ordinary to the extraordinary He changed the consumer to the contributors. And finally, and this is one that's going to be very kind of weird when you hear it, but listen carefully. Uh, The early church, the men and women of God, they were transformed from the living to the dead. He said, well, pastor, you got that backwards. No, no, I didn't. They were transformed from the living to the dead. Paul in Galatians 2.20 said this, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is calling you to not only be transformed into somebody extraordinary, transformed into somebody who contributes, but transformed into a dead person. I'm crucified with Christ. Years ago, now it's been, ooh, 16 years ago. In 1998, I was uh, out of the ministry because of my gambling addiction, and um, I was driving for Quicksilver, which is a courier company, and I had on Christian radio, and one of my favorite songs came on the radio. It was, I forget the title of it, but the, the chorus went, Oceans of Mercy and Rivers of Grace. And I sang it, and I felt it, and I was overwhelmed, and I pulled over to the side of the road, and I asked God to take away that gambling addiction. I asked him to crucify it. I asked him to kill it. 
Lord, would you just kill that desire in me? Would you just kill that selfishness in me that wants to do it my way? Would you just destroy that part of me that wants my way all the time? I died that day. The greatest thing that happened to me in 2014, I died a little bit more. I died a little bit more to my addiction. I died a little bit more to worry, to materialism, to what people think about me. Because I desire to live for an audience of one. And the more I die, the more that Christ lives in me. Here's a question as we close. Are you dead yet? Are you dead to your sin, to yourself, to your selfishness, to consumerism, to addictions, to being ordinary? Are you dead yet? What is it that needs to die in your life? What is it that needs to die in our church? for us to become dangerous people in a dangerous church, to post on our foreheads and on our church doors, beware, there's danger ahead. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we begin this new series, uh, Lord, this is not always fun to talk about because we'd much rather just be happy and cuddly and cute and warm, and, but you've called us to be extraordinary. You've said average and ordinary are not acceptable. That those lives can be transformed by the power of God. That when we take you seriously, that you change our lives from the inside out. And because of that change, the world around us changes. And so, Father, we pray that you would help each and every one of us in this room to be transformed to someone that is extraordinary for your kingdom. That doesn't mean that we're the smartest or have the greatest gifts, but it means that we are sold out sold out to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In order to do that, Father, we recognize that we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our sin. We have to die to our brokenness. We have to die to that desire within us to do it our own way, to always be in charge, to always be in control. We have to die to our sins. So, Father, would you kill that in us today? It's an appropriate time, Lord, that we come to the table of God today where Jesus sacrificed his life that we might have life. And because of his death, we can live not only now, but for all eternity. May we receive that gift by your spirit today. Lord, help us to say, ask this question, what needs to die to me as I come to the table of God? For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.